Thanks for tuning in to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that you're blessed and encouraged to walk out the gospel as you listen to this message. Hey, it's good to see you here this weekend. A lot of our family, I'm sure, are down at the lake or somewhere fun. Uh, but you know what? I wouldn't trade with them right now. You know, this is uh, one of those moments when you see God begin to move in sovereign ways like what was just described to us. It's such an amazing thing when a revival happens. It's, it's wonderful. I mean, it catches you by surprise. And uh, listening to these kids is so reminiscent for me because I was born again during the Jesus movement some years ago, and it was a youth movement. Some two million of us uh, came to know the Lord in a rather rapid period of time and literally changed the face of Christianity. And uh, I believe that we're ripe for that same kind of a move today. The Bible tells us that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord raises a standard against him. And that's military language. Uh, when fighting forces met face-to-face and fought with spears and swords and all those kind of things, there would be a lot of times confusion in the battlefield. And confusion is the, is the enemy of victory. And so what they would do, they would have one person that probably didn't have a sword or a spear in hand, but they had a big pole with a flag on it that identified that fighting force, uh, and that was their identifier. And when the battle was crazy, when the smoke and the blood and the gore and the confusion was going on at its height, someone would raise that standard pole up, and those that were scattered in the fight would come together and, and literally bivouac at that pole. And they would begin to fight from that point on. And as something in, is happening in the Spirit of God around the world today, and there's, there's a move of God afoot. So don't despise the day of small beginnings. Don't despise those days when the Lord just begins to speak to your heart and revives your spirit. These are the moments that you've got you to get a hold of. And listening to Cole right you know, just a few minutes ago, I was so impressed with what God is doing in his heart. And I'm telling you, uh, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised. We are due for a move of God, plain and simple. I have six messages today. <laughs> I only had three when I came in. Now I have six. And uh, I want to talk to you today about something that I think is it's an interesting topic and one that I, I've never preached on, and it will probably become real obvious by the time I'm done today that I haven't. But turn in your Bibles or on your device to Proverbs chapter 9, if you would. I'm just going to pull one very, very familiar verse out and want to talk about this today because... I felt like the Lord laid this on my heart, and as I said, I've never preached on it before, but I've thought of it, I've talked about it a little bit in conversation over the years, but really haven't ever preached on it per se, but it really is a hallmark scripture. It goes like this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord is um, a terminology that we sometimes have thrown around. I, I grew up hearing God, guys say, I'm a God-fearing man, and uh, that's a good thing. But it always wasn't, always wasn't in the context, I think, that the Lord really meant it to be. 
Uh, we, we use that term, and a lot of people think, I'm really afraid of God. I, you know, I, I don't want to come to church because I'm afraid. You know, and, and people do have that sense that if they come to church, that God's going to get them. And being gotten by God is a good thing. But when we call it fear, somehow or other that has a connotation that isn't positive, and it kind of repels some people. But here's the thing. The fear of the Lord is not defined by the terror that we probably would connote with that. The fear of the Lord is an awe. It's a respect. It's a, it's a, whoa. That's what we're talking about. And it is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, until you get to that place where you are impressed with God, where you, it kind of takes your breath away. You haven't yet got the context for all the other things about him and in serving him that probably are important. It goes on to say from there, is it linked with it here, and the knowledge of the Holy One. I don't think it's just knowing the Holy One. I think it's all the context of what his knowledge is. In other words, when you know what he knows about something, you know what you need to know. When you know what he knows about something, you have something called truth. One of the things I am convinced of in this hour is that we have issues today. We've lost the concept of absolute truth. I've preached this off and on for years just out of the context of what I was talking about at other times, but... But the bottom line of this thing is, folks, there are not many truths, not your truth and my truth. There's truth. In fact, Jesus said, I embody that truth. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Well, that's rather narrow-minded, but that's good because if there were many ways, how would you know if your chosen one was the right one? God made it very simple for us. If you want to know about God, look in the face of Jesus Christ. If you have trouble looking in the face and finding out who Jesus is, then go to the Word because there is so much tied up in the person of Jesus Christ that it will take 10,000 years times 10,000 to even begin to plumb the depths of it all. What I want to do today is, if at all possible, is to talk to you about the awe of God. I, uh, I struggled in, in my working through this to find a way to talk to you about the conjunction of fear and awe. In this particular context, there are both parts of this equation that, that I, I really want to get across. The fear of the Lord is not meant to be some negative, ominous kind of a, of a paralyzing mental atmosphere that we, that we serve God in. But rather, it is a state of awe-filled admiration that eliminates also any attitude of casualness or carelessness in dealing with him. 
and following after him. You know, I, I have come to a place where in my own mind I have, I have a personal assurance and awe about his absolute authority. Even when it looks like everything's coming apart at the seams, I know ultimately, I know ultimately that he's in charge. He holds all things simultaneously. He's unlimited in his authority. He's unlimited in his knowledge of the situations. He's unlimited in his, in his bandwidth to deal with all of it simultaneously. I've come to that conclusion. I, I was, like I said, I was grappling with how on earth can I communicate this awe and the fear that goes with it that's healthy. And I, I came up only with two things, two stories. And I, I hesitate to tell stories like this because the story itself is interesting enough that I could distract from, from the point I'm trying to make. But I'm going to tell these stories, and I hope you'll bear with me. This is not an old man reminiscing here. This is, this is somebody that has had an experience as a result of those things that marks my understanding. When I was 16... Our family had moved to San Antonio, Texas from Springfield, and I was there in high school, and, and uh, I, I uh, decided that I wanted to learn to deer hunt. And so I bought a rifle and, and prepared myself as much as I knew how to because my father didn't hunt, and, and, uh, but I just had this passion to do it, and I, and I did that. And one October... I was going out on one of my first uh, solo hunts, and uh, I, was, I was excited. You know, I had a gun. I was about to make it happen. And so I was out in, uh, to the east side of San Antonio. It was a nice October afternoon, and I went out to the, to the woods about, about 2.30, somewhere in that realm, trying to get into the stand where I was going to hunt. And, and I was walking really quietly through, through the brush and there was a big dry creek bed that uh, I, had to, I had to go through to get up to where my, my tree stand was. And I went down into that gully trying to be as quiet as I could. And then when I got to the other side, I started to, I reached up and got two, two saplings and tried to pull myself up and was getting up to the other side. And as soon as my head cleared the, uh, the ground level, something moved about three or four feet out in front of me. And when I focused on what it was, it was this humongous rattlesnake. The thing was somewhere between six and seven feet long. Its body was that big around at least. Its head was nearly as big across as the top of my hand. It was just a massive beast. It had just shed its skin. It was laying there in the dappled light of, of early afternoon, and it, it literally was beautiful. It had burnt orange, it had brown, it had uh, kind of a black in its pattern, and it stretched out full length there in the sun, sunning itself. And as I looked at that thing, I was awestruck. I was far enough from it that it couldn't get to me. But I had just entered another realm, a realm of which this was the boss. It was fearsome. 
As I watched it, it raised its head like this and zeroed in on me, its tongue flickering, and it began, it, 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 it emitted a sound I had never heard before. It was like it came from the pit of hell itself. And as I watched it, it just slowly began to wrap that massive body around itself in a coil position that ever took its eyes off of me. I am transfixed by this thing. It was both beautiful and it was ominous. It was a fearful thing to look three or four feet away from something like that. Thankfully, I had a bunch of saplings and things in front of me. He couldn't have struck me if he, if he tried. But he made an impression on me. And finally, he uncoiled himself, and he just made his way down through the, through the woods. And I climbed up and, and made my way to my stand. But I'll tell you something. He was on my mind. When I got to my stand and I crawled up in it, I looked down beneath the tree down to the side, and there was this hole there that was well used. And I realized that probably I had just disturbed the resident that lived in that hole. <laughs> and all night long, as I waited for dark and waited for the deer to come by that never came by, I had my mind on the resident. And I have, I have to tell you, I walked out of there in the dark very carefully. I, every footfall was something I thought about. Why? Because I was awestruck and I was also aware that he was a very dangerous guy. He had power that transcended his size. He got into my head where everything I did from that moment on after I saw him in his realm, it changed the way I walked, it changed the way I thought, it changed my priorities. And I've never forgotten that. You know, there's something about a visual image tied to a thought or an experience like that that you never forget. And folks, when we realize who it is with whom we have to do. This one we call Jesus, and we sing about him, and he's, he's colloquial to our, our experience. We talk about him as if he's just another guy or another friend. Some people treat him very casually. In fact, some people go so far as not even to think about what he said about the ch decisions they're making because he's, hey, he's their friend. He's their friend. He's their their Savior. But when you really see him as he is, there's something of, of fear, there's something of an awe that brands you. And the second story is probably the one that I, I think about even more often. And this one happened in Zimbabwe, uh, one of my many trips over there. I, I actually got to hunt uh, for several days and in a very rugged part of Zimbabwe. We were hunting Cape Buffalo. And one morning uh, early, it was very chilly that morning, you could see your breath, and, and we were walking and, and actually trailing a buffalo at that point in time. And the tracker 
uh, turned to us and said, ah, the giraffe, the giraffe had come walking on the same, same path, and his tracks were overlaying the, uh, the buffalo tracks. And, and then about two minutes later, he said, and the lion. And the lions had come and, and were trailing this, this group, whatever it was, whether it was the, the giraffe or the, or the uh, buffalo, we couldn't tell. And we came around a bend in, in the trail, and there lays this massive 18-foot-tall bull giraffe. Its abdomen has been torn open, and there's a lot of, a lot of tracks and a lot of gore around the, the, the site there. And it was obvious that the lions had killed this, this giraffe. It's still steaming. And uh, we, we walked up to it very carefully because once they kill something, they don't leave it. And we walked up to it very carefully, and we could hear cat sounds back in the, back in the gully just behind, about 40, 40, 50 meters away. And so we excused ourselves and, and went down the road the other way. And uh, the next day, we, after the, the walk, it was about a 10-mile walk that day, and we we were coming back toward our vehicle, and we happened to come from downwind of that, of that kill site. And so when we got close, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, the, the lions didn't smell, get, get human scent from the wind because the wind was going the other way. And we actually came upon them before they knew we were there. And uh, we were walking up close to that, uh, that site, that that animal was huge. It, it was just massive. It weighed over a ton, of course, and, and these things had brought it down, which, first of all, is so impressive when you think that four or two or three animals, whatever it was, could bring that animal down the way they did, quickly. But we came up, kind of wanted to see if they were still around the, the, uh, the kill site there, but the problem was that the grass was elephant grass. It's a yellow uh, brownish kind of grass that grows. It was thigh high in that particular area. And so as we got closer, we could see maybe the, the, the rib cage of the, of the giraffe there just above the grass, but we couldn't see anything else. So we just assumed maybe the lions had taken off or water or whatever. And uh, we were kind of moving casually at that point until we saw a tail right above the grass, just went like this. And then there was this bark, growl kind of sound that came from that area. And uh, we, so we froze. You know, up until that moment, you're, you're big guys with big bore rifles and you can handle anything. <laughs> then all of a sudden you realize, ooh. And then the guy on my left, he, he did that really lightly. And he just went like this. The lions are over here, or at least we think. <laughs> but 20 feet here, there's a lioness laying in that grass. So we got a lioness right here, and we got who knows what over here. We're in between. And suddenly you realize you've entered someone else's kingdom. You feel pretty small at that moment. And about the time we all looked over there, that lioness either woke up or just saw us. And she stands up and goes, this makes a sound. Mm -hmm. 
And when she did that, there was all kind of scrambling over here by this, by this giraffe. And through the grass appears three lions. The one in the middle was the male. He was magnificent. Big mane and eyes, big yellow eyes that look right through your soul. For the first time in my life, I, I experienced something that made me feel like I was an item on the menu. <laughs> but th- what transfixed me most was the stateliness, the confidence, the ultimate authority that that lion had, the presence of that lion. He was not intimidated. He was merely inconvenienced. And I'll never forget the feeling of having encroached in someone else's kingdom. I'll never forget the gaze that fixed on us. It was intense. And you realize that this could go badly very, very quickly. If you've never been around this guy, you understand there was no way that three guys with rifles could defend themselves against the triangulation that was going on. It could happen that fast. And in that moment, there was, there was like this calm. It felt like it was five minutes that that lion stared us down. And then finally, he just goes, boom, and walked off. And all three females followed him. And we went to the truck and changed underwear. (laughs) I'm just trying trying to give you a picture today of something that maybe gives us a small idea of who we're dealing with. In the book of Revelation, I'd love to read this to you. This is Revelation chapter 1. And John, the disciple that Jesus loved, he self-named him that, himself that. And he was close to the Lord on the night that they were having the, the Last Supper. Um, he was the one leaning against the Lord's shoulder or his breast and, and very close to him. And Jesus was conversing with him about who it was that would betray him and so forth and so on. This guy was very close to the Lord. And this is many years later now that he, this, this event happened because John had been persecuted just like all the rest of the apostolic team. In fact, they tried to kill him in a coliseum. And they boiled him in oil in front of the crowd. And John emerged from the boiling oil unscathed. And tradition tells us that every person in the coliseum received the Lord that day. How many of you understand that? But they never gave up on their persecution. And in this event that I'm about to read to you, John was on the island of Patmos. He was there in exile. It's there, it was there that he would probably die. And one day, something happened. We read about it here. 
verse 10 and following, he says, And I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Notice it's a capital S, which means the Holy Spirit. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Now, what you see, write in the book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. He says, now I turned to see the voice that spoke to me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, which is the word that Jesus used of himself. He recognized at some, at some level who he was looking at, the one he'd traveled with, the one he'd fellowship with after the resurrection, the one he'd served with all of his heart, the one he knew probably better than any other human being on the planet had ever known. But in this moment, he saw him in his realm. I, I, I tell you that when you see him in his realm, everything bows down there. Everything bows down there. Everything is subservient. Everything is less than. And if we ever get to feeling really big about ourselves, we might want to remind ourselves. He was clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded above about his chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, kind of like mine, but a whole lot nicer. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. His voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a two-edged sword. His countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. He laid, on his, he laid his hands on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Boy, that's a resume. That's a resume. If our Jesus is confined in our mindset to Jesus, meek and mild, we only have a very small part. It's hard to be in the fear of the Lord if that's the context that you have. Because he's almost like your servant. He comes to meet your needs. And he does. That's the beauty of this. That kind of Incredible might, incredible power, inc unique among all things, 
more powerful than anything else, but clothed in humility enough to come low to find me and you and lay his hand on us when we're dead, dead before him and say, I'm the first and the last. I have the keys. I'm in charge. I got this. Isn't that amazing? I mean, how, how do we get our minds around that? But today, I, 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 want, I want to communicate this. This is so much on my heart right now, especially in the context of what we experienced a little bit ago, especially in the context of where I think we're headed. Let's make no mistake about it. He's awesome. He's not, he's not my errand boy. He says, you have not because you ask not. Yeah, that's true. But he's not here just to be a need meter. He's here to propagate a kingdom. He is the king. If we see him in any other light but what John saw him in, we, we have a problem with our, our sight. We have a problem with our context. We have a problem with our understanding of who it is with whom we have to deal. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know, if I'd have known those lions were there, and if my two professional hunter friends that were with me had known those lions were there, we would have handled the thing totally differently. You'd use more wisdom in how you approach. That day in, in the woods east of San Antonio, at least I was able to view that incredible animal from a place of safety. I had a warning. I had an opportunity to view it, appreciate it, be impressed by it, without being in danger of encroaching upon it. I, 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 just, I just really didn't have any of this in my notes, so that's always dangerous. But the bottom line to me is this. I do not want to deal with God in an ignorant way. He's the Lord, and I'm not. The word... That John said, you know, that he said here, I saw out of his mouth was a sharp two-edged sword. That language is incredibly interesting because in Hebrews 4.12, it says the following. It says that the word of God is like a two-edged sword. And that two-edged sword basically is powerful, sharper. It, it, it literally enters in between soul and spirit. The Word of God is not meant just for, for understanding mentally. It's to get down between your soul and your spirit. The decision-making capability, the passions of our heart and mind are dictated from this place. 
We're living in times right now, friends, where people are making their own rules and expecting God to live by them. His word is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path. We're called to be salt and light in our generation. It's getting dark out there. It's crazy out there. Up is down and down is up. In 6,000 years, we didn't get the revelation that you can be one of 112 different sexes. The problem is we've forgotten the fact that in the very first part of the Bible, he said he made them male and female. And, oh, by the way, still does. If we get confused by all the voices and neglect the sword that's sharper, more precise, and cuts deeper than anything else, the Word of God is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, and we're called to be salt and light. Salt preserves and light illuminates. Let's be those people. Let's be those people that walk in the awe and the respect and the careful walk that following Jesus deserves. Why don't you stand with me this morning? I only preached one of my six messages. But I feel desperately in my heart that there's this moment that's going to co coincide with the outpouring of the Spirit that's going to happen in the latter times. And we're right there. I was going to read to you out of 2 Timothy chapter 3, that the last days perilous times would come, and it describes the days that we're living in to a T. Then it gives instructions as to how we need to act in those times. So, folks, today I'm, I'm going to pray over us that the fear of the Lord, which is clean, that we read in the Proverbs and in the Psalms, the fear of the Lord is clean. Boy, when you have the right, the right fear of God, you're walking in the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So, Father, in the name of Jesus today, I pray over my friends here in this room and my friends online. Anybody that hears this voice today, I pray, oh God, that you would break into their world in such a way that they have that same sense of falling on their face before you as a dead person. Not a prayer list to ask today, but just adoring and being amazed and standing in awe of the one who was and is and is to come, the one that has the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Hades is nothing to him. He has the keys. So, Father, today we take this moment and we ask you, would you open the eyes of our understanding? Would you show us who you really are? Let us see you in your realm. Let us be shocked like John was shocked. Our God has been too small. Our understanding too weak. 
And we pray today, God, that you would open our mind and our hearts, open our very spirit to the magnificence of who you are, God. And let us live our lives in the strength of that from this day forward. Lord Jesus, we bless you today from the earth. We speak in the midst of all the chaos and say, you are our king. You are our Lord. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on this planet. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you.